Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Last week I suggested that you turn up the dial on dhikr and do more dhikr than usual and that this week we would talk about dhikr in a new way. So imagine what's happening inside your brain, your nervous system, as we Vicar Yahoo, for instance, and imagine, for instance, doing this for decades. Um, you think of your neural capacity shrinks or expands when scans are done of the brain. They find that the brain lights up in one portion related to short-term memory when you're learning something new and it illuminates another, you might say, deeper part of the brain for things that have become fundamental. I don't want to say automated, but things that begin to be the foundation of our intelligence and consciousness. When we do dhikr, we are actually I'm speculating now. I don't have, I have some scientific research, but I'm not a scientist. So I'm speculating a bit based on what uh, I do know of neuroscience. Um, because our intention is always to be doing uh, vicar consciously, as if it's brand new, as if it's being done for the first time, we're both activating that part of the neural network that is uh, related to short-term memory, learning, and also because these names have a certain depth of meaning and um, they are both new and also very old for us, or very familiar, we're also um, building the neural in connections at that deeper level. And we have not just one name, but we have, depending, a dozen, or a few dozen, or maybe 99 of these names, each of which represents a quality. There's a word, and behind the word is a vibration, a meaning, an energy. So, Vikrallah, in all of its beautiful forms, is a constant um, awakening of the nervous system and literally bringing, and you know, tradition tells us that Vikr is bringing light into the heart, and the heart is also the mind. You know, actually, the heart is the greater part of the mind. The intellect is the lesser part of the mind. So, traditionally, they say in traditional language, Vikr Allah is bringing nur into your heart, meaning your true being. And that makes sense in terms of today's neuroscience. Um, through these names, we are 
building a body of light physically and um, since all levels of reality are related there is uh, an concurrence on higher levels that this energy, these names, this consciousness that we're awakening with our uh, intention, with our conscious will, is also creating something at higher levels of our being. Nowadays we have uh, interesting you know, metaphors we can use. We can say that we're storing things in the cloud. We have them both in our random access memory. We have them on our hard drive, which is our physical nervous system. And we're also uploading to the cloud, just to use that metaphor, actually. Humanity invents these tools, and they, as we invent these tools, they also become metaphors, it seems, for um, our true situation. As you know, I've sometimes said that our operating system is Quranic Islam as understood by the awliya, by the mystics, by the perfected beings. That is our operating system, our software, is what the Sufi orders give us. Um, and, and now we're talking about dhikr as a process of uploading energy, meaning, into a part of our being, um, a higher being body, spirit, if you like. Um, and this has an eternal dimension, because it is in the eternal dimension. It's not in the world of time. It's not in the world of transient phenomena. And so we are literally, as some traditions might say, you're not automatically granted an eternal soul. Our tradition doesn't say that exactly, but some traditions do. We could say that there are actually hints in the Quran, which I'll share with you in a minute, of uh, the eternal dimension of what we're doing, creating. Uh, a resurrection body when and maybe we haven't spent much time talking about the uh, the afterlife heaven and hell I've tended to avoid those subjects for the last 40 years actually because I think what we have in front of us is quite enough but also uh, there is an eternal dimension every thought feeling action has its reality in a higher world and has its um, uh, it has its uh, end product it has its uh, accumulation and um, so you know in the Quran they talk about the Qiyama Qiyama means the standing up it's equivalent to the resurrection in western terms but it's different, perhaps. Um, it's not the resurrection of Jesus, that's one thing, perhaps. This is the resurrection of all of humanity, a day when we will sort of be brought forth, where our everything we have um, 
thought and done and felt and aspired to in our embodied human life, the reality of it will appear clearly and that will be our, our reality, our actuality, in a, something like an eternal, timeless dimension. So it's called the uh, Yamikiyama, the day of arising or standing, literally. It's not a day, it's a timeless day. So, liquor is something really beautiful. I feel like, you know, these investment counselors, they come on and say, tonight I'm going to tell you about an investment. It's the best investment you could possibly make at this time. I'm going to re reveal to you tonight the name of a particular <laughs> stock or company or whatever. Well, it's something like that even though we've been talking about liquor for decades. This teaching is continually new. It would be tragic if we were repeating the same things decade after decade, nobody's understanding on the same level. It would just become dogmatic, doctrinaire, boring. It would be a prison for the mind. But I think the test of a teaching is does it have enough depth to keep revealing itself, revealing its beauty in new dimensions? And I trust that if I share with you what's new for me, hopefully it'll be interesting and real. So, to read, you can pass that around on. <clears throat> I was given a fresh insight into some of these matters recently reading a Turkish author named Ahmed Hulusi, who is a Sufi mystic who has written quite a range of books. They've been translated into English. God bless him, he's made them available for free on the internet. You can download them and I'll have Farid send information on that to everybody. So some of this I owe to Brother Ahmed Hulusi and uh, I've re-expressed some of his ideas and I've taken an approach to, to translating the Quran following a style that he has used which is by, by uh, taking a word like shaitan or satan and then saying Satan, and then parentheses, egoism growing out of corporeality, the idea of being just the physical body, close parentheses. So at the time the Quran was revealed, 
perhaps there were symbols like shaitan, for instance, that have a deeper meaning that we can, uh, that the mystics understood from from the get-go in a deeper way. But people at different levels of intelligence and cultural development will understand these terms um, according to their level of cultural development. So I think Ahmed Hulusi is very good at suggesting some ways to look at some of the ideas in the revelation and shine a light on them. And it's not just a subjective light. I respect him very much because he's not just making it all up. He's not just imposing his own interpretations on these matters. Everything, just about everything I've seen him do uh, is very much in accord with, you might say, the whole, the comprehensive wholeness of the revelation and with the understanding of the perfected beings who have also interpreted the Quran. So I do some of that here. Some of it is suggested by Lucy. Some of it is my re, uh, rephrasing of Lucy or offering some different insights. So the first paragraph, Anna, would you read that to us? This is just a summary of what I've already tried to communicate. the neural capacity of the brain in accord with the meaning of the name that is repeated. Zikr produces a radiant energy emanating from the brain to be uploaded to the spirit, a radiant holographic body, thus strengthening the resurrection body to be used after death, that is, beyond this material existence. The Zikr of the divine name with continual practice, as well as memorized portions of the Qur'an, rewire the neural system, increasing the brain's capacity of comprehension in relation to the meaning of the names that are repeated. Increasing the brain's capacity of comprehension in relation to the meaning of the names that are repeated. And I could add another dimension to this which is more difficult to talk about, maybe in some ways more speculative, and that is that the language of the Quran may have a certain inimitable power as a code of reality. This you could only judge for yourself, through your own experience, not because somebody tells you this. But uh, it's its music, its phrasing, its meaning, its objective uh, sound uh, may actually be something like, to use another kind of modern-day metaphor, might be something like a password to your wireless system. You know, you need a password to, to get in. Now we can understand those things. Maybe it's a set of passwords, maybe it is a kind of programming language uh, for higher reality. That's just something to consider. I did put it down in words here, but I think it's very possible 
that the suras which we memorize, especially some of the more beloved and short suras, have uh, an objective quality as, as a sound code for energizing our inner being. Just something to consider. So with this first paragraph, is anything confusing or bewildering about this? Does that need explanation? I'm happy to try. Yes. Are you Martha? also benefit our being, not just the resurrection body, but wouldn't it just benefit our heart? And our physical being, absolutely. And, and our energetic being within. Yes. And not just the resurrection body. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Whether pronounced silently or aloud, it will have those energetic effects. Pronounced aloud, it has the enlivening of chi, for instance, in the body. Um, it brings energy into the body. And in silence, it's the same thing. Silence, the silent vicar, is, is at least as powerful as the audible vicar. So yes, these things reflect on all all levels of our being, and that's fairly obvious to anybody who has experienced this over a period of time. So thank you for that clarification. I could, uh, and it probably deserves to be there, but in some ways I'm sort of assuming that. And um, but it's good to be reminded. Yes, it has. Uh, has health benefits, um, it brings energy, it heals, it does all these things. It rebalances us, it makes us more coherent. And human coherence, which is always based in the heart, you know, the heart being the most magnetic part of our being, coherence that takes shape around the, the spiritual heart <coughs> makes for a coherent human being rather than a human being that's self-contradictory and, and at odds with itself. We all are, to some extent, uh, at odds with ourselves. But it does develop coherence, centeredness. It's a familiar way of expressing it, too. Um, in this, I was emphasizing the correspondence between what we experience here, and by the way, here and there is also here, and all levels are also here. Um, what is transcendent, what is beyond exist, what seems to be beyond existence, is also here, and part of our experience if we know how to include it. Okay, so far so good. So here are some portions of the Quran and also some hadith.
and this is from Surah 43, ayats 36 to 37. And whoever is blinded by external things from the remembrance of Rahman, remembering that his or her essential reality is rooted in divine beneficence and all that this requires of us, whoever is blinded from the remembrance of Rahman, we appoint for him or her a shaitan, a delusion, the idea that he or she is only the physical body and that life should be lived in pursuit of bodily pleasures. And this, belief, will become his or her new identity. And indeed, these will avert them from the way of the reality while they think they are on this, the right path. Remembrance of Rahman. Rahman is the one name that is in the Quran virtually has an equivalence with Allah. It's that fundamental. And its meaning, we sometimes just make a distinction. If you've heard this several times before, forgive me, but people have usually little idea of what, how to distinguish between Rahman and Rahim. These two names are mentioned, and they both come from the root of womb. They both have to do with beneficence and grace. But the Rahman is, is that the beingness of Allah that is pouring out upon existence all the time. It pours, uh, it's like the sun shining on good and bad, on the, those who remember and those who are heedless. It's just the grace that pours upon everything. Just the fact that Hitler exists is the Rahman, because Hitler was given being. Whatever he did with being, that's what he did with it. But he was given existence by the Rahman. His very existence was a blessing, even if it was misused. Excuse me for this very stark example, but I'm making a point. Everything that exists is an expression of the Rahman. Then there's still free will, but we won't get into free will right now. So this is the very source of our being, this Rahman, this beneficence. And it asks something of us. We have a responsibility to that, if we will just remember. And the shaitans are those delusions. You know, instead of thinking of little nasty, horned devils, Let's look at our own delusions that arise within us and take us away from the haq, from the reality, from that beneficence and everything it requires of us. Again, in uh, Quran 58.19, shaitan, the egoism growing out of corporeality, the idea of, just, of being just the physical body, has overcome them and made them forget the remembrance of Allah their own reality as infinite, eternal spirit. And those, parentheses, who are trapped in this egoistic delusion, close parentheses, are the acquaint acquaintances of shaitan, of delusion, if you will. Take heed, most assuredly, the partisans of shaitan are the very losers.
Oh, people of faith, here we are. Quran 33:41. Remember Allah much. Remember Allah a lot. And whoever turns away from my liquor, that is the absolute reality of which I have reminded him or her, indeed he or she will have a restricted life, limited by the conditions of his or her body-mind. And we will resurrect him or her as blind at the resurrection. Okay? So, vicar, contemplate me. I vicar you. That's Quran 2, 152. Remember me. I remember you. It's often translated as remember me and I will remember you. But there's no future tense, really. It's just in Arabic, just present tense. Remember me, I remember you. That's the non-dual secret of this, the fact that you're remembering. God is God's remembering you. But interesting. And whoever turns away from this remembrance, from this liquor, which is your awareness of the absolute reality. Such a person will have a restricted life, a life limited only to the conditions of this body-mind. And now in Quran 2.186, So if my servants ask you of me, undoubtedly I am karib, close, near, as close as the limits of one's understanding. Remember the verse, I am closer to you than your jugular vein. I respond to those who turn to me in prayer, in worship. So let them respond to me and keep faith with me so that they experience their maturation. So let them respond to me and keep faith with me so that they experience their maturation. Inevitably, language forces us into a kind of dualism that is inappropriate here. Um, La ilaha illallah tells us there is no God. There is only that unified wholeness, oneness. There is only that. So even the me is that speaking, and the we is that oneness speaking, that wholeness speaking. And it's, yes, it's speaking to us. And that which in us is in us that listens is also that wholeness. What is speaking is the wholeness, what is listening is the wholeness. And as a beautiful Abu Hassan Harakani said, don't speak unless you know, unless you are conscious that God is what's listening. And don't listen unless you are conscious that it is God speaking. Those are the words of somebody who lived at that height of uh, 
non-dual awareness of unification, of intimacy with God. So don't let yourself be deceived by the language. What we are remembering in liquor is what we is our wholeness, is our nature. And then we have Quran twenty nine forty five. Indeed, the dhikr of Allah is akbar. Dhikr is greater. Great meaning greater than anything else. Vadhikrallahi akbar. That greaterness enables one to experience the akbariya, the absolute magnificence of this reality which is only less than magnificent when we are imprisoned, limited, numbed by the illusion of the body-mind, our limited self. Not to get too far out on this, but it's the human being is meant to be individual and also to be aware at this greater level. And then we have some beautiful hadith. When the Rasul of Allah was asked, what is the most pleasing practice in the sight of Allah? He explains the importance of dhikr with his words, dying while your tongue is engaged in dhikr. May we all be prepared for that. Abu Musa reported, the likeness of one who engages in the dhikr of Allah and the one who does not is like that of a living person compared to a dead person. That's very significant. Experience that for yourselves. Recognize that for yourselves. Comparison is comparison is someone who is truly alive is to someone who is not fully alive. Only nominally alive, not alive in all the dimensions that we are meant to experience and know and appreciate and be thankful for. Um, the Rasul of Allah said, the Mufaridun have taken precedence. They asked, who are the Mufaridun, O Rasul of Allah, he said. Ever hear this, Mustafa? Well, from like the Afrad and Fat, which is singular or exceptional. Yeah, that's good, exceptional. I was going to say honored, but yeah, that's the, that's the perfect. The exceptional have taken precedence. That makes perfect sense. They are those who remember Allah often and whose burdens the dhikr removes from them so that on the day of resurrection they come light-weighted or unburdened. And here, that's from Al-Tirmidhi and here's one from Al-Tabrani and Al-Bayhaqi. Um, the people of paradise are not grieved by anything more than the time they spend in the world without liquor. 
man will feel great remorse for every moment you spend not remembering Allah. Bahaki. If any group of people gather and depart without remembering Allah, this gathering will cause regret for them on the day of resurrection. Okay. Just some very practical considerations, some beautiful reminders, and hopefully encouragement for us to realize this as a possibility, as something that we can value and incorporate more and more into our way of being, so that it's the most natural thing. Um, I was talking to a friend who is a healer, uh, Amin Hamid, some of you may know him. He has an interesting way of practicing when he heals. He never does healing work without, he says, when I heal, he says, my breath is Yahoo and my dhikr is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Who's the first person I ever knew who like, combined these things? My breath is Yahoo and my dhikr is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Well, why not? Um, he, he believes this multitasking is a good idea. And we're capable of that. So the Yahoo is directly related. It's set so beautifully with the breath. But then you can also add another thicker to that. Just as when you're riding your train down the line, as Brother Rauf is wont to do, you know, it can be thicker all the way still driving that train high on what rhymes with the train that is acceptable here. Continual refrain. Yes. <laughs> Rabiul Alamein. <laughs> it's there. You have a new vicar. Glorification. The seven heavens extol God's limitless glory and the earth, all that it contains. And there is not a single thing that does not proclaim God's limitless glory. But you, oh human being, but you, oh human beings, fail to grasp the manner of their glorification of the one who is truly forbearing and very forgiving. Amen, amen, amen. Anna was at our retreat in British Columbia when, like a kindergarten teacher, I forced people to memorize certain things. Not everybody is as successful as she is, however. You know how you remember it? Oh. I created a series of images in my mind. Yes, like the ancient Romans. Yes, and that's an ancient trick. But the key image, which I thought was kind of Beautiful, it just came to me. It was uh, like a dandelion clock. You know, when, when dandelions become, they go to seed, it's actually called the clock. Oh. 
it looks like a microphone also, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. So I kept thinking about this dandelion clock being like a microphone, proclaiming God's living story. Mm -hmm. And um, I sort of, you know, I sort of got to that point and then thought of, you know, lips kind of at this microphone and then kind of kissing it and making it disperse and, I don't know, I was in, I enjoyed no, you touched on something very important in the ancient orators who would say know very well the geography of a of a square in Rome or Athens. And they would when they had to memorize a speech, they would put different phrases or sentences of the speech in different parts of the architecture. Just like you could look around this room and you could make some association. I could just go around this room and say you know, associate different things in this room with the phrases I wanted to remember. So this is a classical method for training the mind. But this was a, a key theme in our weekend two weeks ago. So let's hear it one more time because it's, uh, this I think is from Surashura. Do you remember Surashura? Wherever it's from. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse that reminds us that this is all, that remembrance is also about perception. The seven heavens proclaim God's limitless glory, and the earth, and all that it contains. And there is not a single thing that does not proclaim God's limitless glory and praise. But you, O oh human beings, fail to grasp the manner of their glorification of the one who is truly forbearing and very forgiving. Alim Malgafur. I mean, Ahalim Malgafur. Beautiful. So, so what do you remember from this sobet tonight? What ideas will you take with you? Yes, for <clears throat> The metaphysics of Dicker, you encouraged us to do it more and more during the day. And uh, Sister Martha was talking about the heart. I was seeing the eye of the heart and how Dicker opens it, expands it, Beautiful. Perfect. And what else? In your own words, in your own understanding. I'm reminded that you talked about the actual words being like a password, so to speak, or like that. But the idea of resonance comes to my mind is the actual sounds and the tones and the, and the rhythms of the Quran or the particular language you use create a resonance that 
to the sensors, physical bodies is the one that's like as well as all the way to the spiritual realms. And even um, about silently doing that very same thing in a almost, almost like homeopathy. So subtle, but it's still resonating in the same way. It's a more subtle part of ourselves. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yes. Barry. Um, continuous Vikrava is our. alternative path, it's way beyond inoculation, it's our alternative to self-absorption of the nafs and um, seduction into the Preoccupations of the physical, of the merely physical, Barry, <laughs> and the ego, that survival necessity has generated. So we have these two sides of our being. You know, we do have this self, this ego, and ego just can translate as self, and it's not a bad thing. It's only uh, uh, limiting if it's cut off from the wider reality. But if that limited self is introduced and lives within the context of the wider reality, especially through the divine names, divine remembrance, then the very quality of the self is transformed. It becomes a different sort of being, as we were saying, even in terms of the neural network, physical uh, uh, effects come from the repetition of divine names, literally increasing intelligence, increasing awareness through the constant repetition in short-term and long-term memory uh, of the divine names actually brings light into the nervous system and awakens parts of the mind that are then capable of what Anna just recited, everything in the seven heavens and everything on earth glorifies Allah, but you human beings do not recognize the manner of their glorification because your uh, even your neural system is not equipped to um, perceive those subtleties. We had a beautiful seminar in, in, uh, in British Columbia. It was really a very intense seminar that we had, but before the seminar one of our brothers had heard that, and he, he asked me the question. He said, well, how will we be able to perceive this glorification? And I didn't really have an immediate, easy answer for him. I said, well, the whole spiritual path is about that. The totality of the teachings 
is about that. Um, but he was one of the semizens, and after this very beautiful, intense sema, where we had some, also some magnificent musicians that showed up, um, and that night, three of the semizens were still awake at 2 a.m. in the forest, in tents, and they each individually heard music that was not coming, there was no music playing anywhere. You can imagine, there's no way to play music there. It's off the grid, you know. It's <laughs> and somebody said, well, maybe it was an animal. And they said, no, it wasn't an animal. And in separate tense. Am I right? Am I? Yeah, well, I mean, well, Farzad also said it sounded like animals making music. Animals <laughs> making music. <well, okay. laughs> That's Farzad's interpretation. I like it. Yeah. Anyway, so I said to, uh, to Muhammad that, okay, that's the answer to your question of earlier today. You were in a state to hear something unusual. And that's right, animals making music, maybe it was. But that glorification of the natural realm. Who knows, I didn't hear it, I was sleeping. <laughs> You do. One of our teachers always express this in terms of love as being the divine electromagnetic milieu in which we exist. So there's some, some truth in that, some profitable reflection in that. Yeah. Because right down to the most uh, microcosmic level of existence, there's nothing but the energy of love. Eva, any final thoughts? Could you, uh, to back up some, a little bit more the, the media thing, <coughs> remind us of the difference between Rahman and Rahim that mentioned Rahman. Oh, I didn't finish that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I got distracted. So I spoke about the Rahman as being that continual overflowing of divine grace that has given us existence, and, and existence itself is a grace. The Rahim is what is available when the witness turns consciously to the back to the divine in whatever circumstances. I say the witness. You are a witness. Human beings are witnesses. Who knows what is a witness? Maybe that rose is a witness. I don't know. But I know human beings are conscious, can be conscious souls that even in the midst of suffering, 
and in the midst of joy and all the intermediate states, when we consciously turn back to our source, the Rahim is what connects us to our source. So it's the blessing within existence that carries us back. The Rahman is continually overflowing. The Rahim is continually returning us. Um, I think this is a sensible way to understand it. We don't, our vocabulary in English doesn't cut it because we say the compassionate, well, and the merciful. They're full of all the wrong associations, really. Because it's more than compassion. It's graciousness, it's, as Muhammad Assad translates it, that's good. Um, you know, it's that overflowing abundance of existence. The pleroma, perhaps, in Greek terminology. But then this rahim is something really extraordinary to recognize that. To recognize that in every moment there's something carrying us back. There's a channel back to the divine but only for those who consciously make that choice and sometimes need forces us to make that choice. Sometimes we wouldn't ever turn back if it weren't for the challenging conditions of this earthly life. So then even, even those conditions are part of the Rahim. It's the, it's the path of return For those who choose it, for those who find it, thanks for catching me on that. Evola, yeah. well, it's time for Margaret prayer. So. We're all going to we're all going to turn up the volume of a vicar in our lives, inshallah. I mean, it's up to you. I'll tell you one more story. Um, the story Ahmed Halusi tells. He was a young boy living <coughs> in Istanbul in the neighborhood of the Jera Pasha Masjid, which we know. <coughs> on the European side of Istanbul. He was a, a little kid, and he was at some prayer one day, and there was an old sheikh who saw him and said, Come, son, come. I have something for you. And he went to him, and this old sheikh said, Are you ready for a task if I give it to you? And the young boy said, Yes. I would be honored. And <clears throat> the old sheikh said, Say, recite Surah Ikhlas 100,000 times and then come back and see me. And that little boy, within two weeks, within two weeks, had recited 100,000 Surah Ikhlas. He must have been doing virtually nothing else. Um, by the time he was finished, that sheikh had died. 
I just give you that story maybe to inspire you uh, as a benchmark, okay? And, um, see how you can incorporate Victor more and more into your lives and see what that feels like. Experiment for yourself. And there's even a value, or there's a beauty in doing, you know, sometimes we have given the example, as I did at the retreat with the Tesbe, I said, in front of that retreat, I said, we're going to do 99 olives. Is that the name? 99 olives. And I said, and this sounds like a boast, I don't mean it that way, but I said, if I forget if I lose my concentration during one Allah, I'm going to go back to the beginning. So I need your attention. And we're all in this together. I'm going to be saying Allah, Allah, Allah. And I said, if my attention wanders for more than one bead, I'm going to have to go back and start right from the beginning. We could be here all night. So let's, let's see what happens. And we went through the 99. I went through the 99 without a loss of attention. But I also had to explain that, to be fair to myself, if losing attention for less than a whole bead is okay, we'll tolerate that. But losing attention for more than one bead, no, then you have to go back to the start. You can do this for yourself, and whether you do 11 or 33 or 66 or 99, take your measure. But it's a way of practicing complete concentration on the divine name. That's one beautiful way to do it, but that's not the only way to do it. There's also a great blessing in just, you know, just reciting the divine name even while you're doing other things and even keeping that kind of in the background, sometimes in the foreground. There's even a great blessing in that. So those are two ways. One with complete attention, and we should be able to practice that and deepen in that because that's a deepening. That's a, uh, and that's in the seven. You know, when we discuss the seven paths to uh, spiritual practice, one of them had to do with sustaining attention, and another one had to do with deepening into the experience. So those are two components of those of those seven, two important ones, which should also be developed. But don't think the vicar that you just do almost casually and almost in the background of your life sometimes without being ostentatious and you just have those keep doing it, keep doing it it's also good it also has blessings and benefits Ameen, Ameen, Ameen